0: So in Advent, we are looking forward to celebrating the coming of Christ as a child, but we're also leaning into our longing for his second coming, the time when he will return and finish his work of mending us, of righting the wrongs inside of us and in our world. And we're spending these Sundays leading up to Christmas looking at characters in the Bible who experienced Pain and struggle as they waited for God. Last week, we looked at Job. Now, one aspect of Job's suffering was that he suffered purely as a victim. Job did not bring any of the pain he experienced on himself. It was not a consequence of sin that he committed. And all of us experience these kinds of struggles at points in our lives. A suffering that comes through no real fault of our own, but simply because of the brokenness of the world and the lingering presence of evil. But there's another kind of suffering and pain we experience that is compounded by the fact that we know we brought it on ourselves. It's at least partly our fault. And this morning we're looking at the biblical character Samson. And this is the type of pain Samson experiences. The picture most of us carry of Samson is of him in his prime. This is the picture we like to carry of ourselves, isn't it? And so we do the same favor to Samson. He's something like a tribal era Superman, an Iron Age man of steel. But this is not the full picture of Samson. Near the end of his life, Samson is totally humiliated, taken prisoner by his enemies, the Philistines. His strength, the gift that drove his success all of his life, is mysteriously absent. We're told in Judges 16 that the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. This is a shocking picture when you consider nearly every other aspect of Samson's life. First of all, Samson's very existence was a miracle, a work of God. So the story of Samson begins in Judges chapter 13. And there we learn that like so many other special people in the scriptures, think of Isaac, Jacob, Samuel, John the Baptist. Samson is born to a barren woman. His mother longs for a child, but finds her own body unwilling, even unable to bear a child. Then an angel appears and gives the same announcement that is later given to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. I hope that you notice throughout that there are striking resemblances between the story of Samson and the story of Jesus. Did you notice what that thief, that other criminal said on the cross to Jesus? The same thing Samson says at the end of his life, remember me. There are striking resemblances throughout, and one of them occurs at the very beginning with Samson's mother. Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, the angel also tells her that this son will be set apart to God for special purposes, namely, to save Israel from their arch enemies, the Philistines. They threaten the very existence of Israel. And so Samson's job is going to be to save Israel from the Philistines. And because of this special calling, the angel told Samson's mother that he is to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was someone recognized as having a unique calling to serve God. But it carried with it a demand. And the demand was that you would not cut your hair or consume alcohol. Now, Katie and I were talking about this yesterday, and Katie brought up that it's difficult to figure out what denomination Samson would be associated with today. You'd think Baptist with his teetotaling commitment, but then there's the long hair, that doesn't really fit. So it's just... It's tricky to figure out who he would fit with today. But this special commitment on Samson's part is going to be very important to the rest of the story. Now, if Samson's existence is so miraculous, and if he's been set aside for this special purpose by God, again, what is it? To save Israel, God's people, from the Philistines. Why is it that we find him at the end of his life imprisoned by those very Philistines. Has he failed at the job that God gave him? Has God enabled Samson to fail? You know, what's worse is that the Philistines in capturing Samson, the hero of Israel, they believe themselves to have defeated Israel and to have defeated the God of Israel. As we heard, as Leah read, they celebrate Capturing Samson by offering sacrifices to their god, Dagon. Why does Samson's story take this awful turn? Now to answer that, we need to ask a different question. Where is it that Samson got received the gift of strength that at the end of his life he has at least temporarily lost? Was strength A magic gift given to him merely through long hair. Was it? Because however we answer this is going to affect how we see the end of the story. Is it simply a magic connection between his hair and his strength that leads him to lose his strength? I think there's going to be more to it than We see on the surface. So remember that Samson was set aside to God for this very special purpose, right? To save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And to carry out this calling, Samson received a gift from God. That gift was enormous strength. This gift is the source for his vocation. Now, do you know how sometimes people talk about feeling made to do a certain job? Have you heard people talk about this? Like they were born to do something. Some of you have gifts that enable you to do your job. You're great with children, or you're business savvy, or you have a gift of connecting with people. And whatever the gift is, this skill enables you to do your work, your vocation. For some of you, it is as if you were born to do it. And this is exactly the way it was with Samson. He was blessed with enormous strength, so that he could do the work God set out for him, which was to rescue Israel from their oppressive enemies. This was quite literally what Samson was born for. Now there are several situations in Samson's life where he appears to do exactly that. So on one occasion, uh, this particular instance is in Judges chapter 15 the Philistines were raiding Israelite lands and they asked the Israelites to give up Samson as a prisoner. The Israelites agreed to do this and Samson agreed to let it happen. And then, after he lets this happen and he's in Philistine custody... We're told that he is filled with the Spirit of God. Actually, we're told that the Spirit of God rushed on him and he overcame 1,000 Philistines by himself with the jawbone of a donkey. Now afterward, Samson is terribly weak and dehydrated. Understandable. So he prays and he asks God, who's given him this strength for this battle, to give him water. And God does. So God enables him, actually he says in his prayer, this is a means of salvation. He has destroyed all these Philistines and he's protected Israel through this. And now he says, will you give me water? And God gives him water so that Samson can continue on this work of saving Israel from their enemies, the Philistines. But there's also something else going on. There's no doubt that even in this situation, Samson is a little bit full of himself. His work definitely serves to protect Israel and God's people. But Samson, each time, kind of walks about with his he- with a stiff neck, with his head up very high. But each time this happens, Samson's victories, though he appears a little full of himself, are seen by the Philistines and Israelites as victories for Samson's people, for Israel. So Samson, he might have some self-interest here. But his work serves a larger purpose of caring for God's people. So time after time, we see Samson accomplish unbelievable feats of strength. And clearly, his strength, this gift he's been given to accomplish his God-given calling, this comes from God, from his relationship to God. Notice that we're not mentioning his hair. The reason being is that Samson's hair is merely a symbol of his relationship to God. Now, notice this is going to become very important. It's an important symbol. Don't get me wrong. It's a symbol similar similar to a wedding ring. You should be careful what you do with your wedding ring. You should keep up with it. But it's not magic. It is not the very thing that makes you married. Samson's strength comes from his relationship to God, from God's relationship to him. And his hair is a symbol of that relationship. So what is it that causes Samson's demise? Is it merely that his hair is cut? No, if we look closely at Samson, there's much more to it than his hair. So there are two things we need to look at with Samson before we even get to his relationship with Delilah. First is Samson, well, one is Samson's behavior. The second is his prayer life. And the first we're going to look at is his prayer life. I just mentioned that after defeating the Philistines in battle, Samson was thirsty. He was deathly thirsty. So he prays. And listen to how he prays. He was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And then God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and the water came out from it, and when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Now there's something very positive here. When Samson's life is at risk, he calls on God. And that's good. That's what a person should do. But when you compare the way Samson prays to the the way other people pray in Scripture, there's also a subtle hint that something is awry. Samson addresses God very casually. Samson never says please to God. Never even really asks God directly for water. Did you notice the only thing Samson says is, are you going to let me die now? It's uncommon for people in Scripture to approach God with this kind of Casual familiarity. So listen to the difference in the way Daniel, another Old Testament character, addresses God. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments... Now, Daniel's going to go on for a while praising God, confessing his own unworthiness before God. And only after this does he ask God for something. And that is that God would have mercy on him and his people, that he would intervene on their behalf. When you compare the way Samson prays to the way someone like Daniel prays, there's a sneaky sense that Samson might presume certain things from God as if he's learned to expect them from God. He might be a little like a child who makes demands on a parent while showing no respect for the parent, giving no acknowledgement of the parent's rightful authority, as if the parent actually has the right to say no to them. Now, we can't come to any conclusions based on this, but Samson's prayer should make us suspicious of his commitment to God. How much he really values a relationship to him. Now, you might say, this is drawing too much on a prayer. Samson was in a hurry. He was really thirsty. Come on, give the guy a break. You might be right, except that Samson's behavior goes on to prove the suspicion. Even though he sometimes uses his strength to benefit others, there are other times when it's clearly all about Samson. So the story that Leah read to us from chapter 16, it starts with Samson going to visit a prostitute in Gaza. It's safe to say that's mostly self-interest going on, right? But even more, there's the fact that Samson does this in Philistine territory with no concern for the dangers at hand, the threat to his life. So Samson clearly assumes that the strength God has given him as a gift will work even if it's purely for himself. Even if it's sinful, outrightly sinful, his repeated successes have gotten to his head. He's full of himself. He fears nothing, and in this case, he gets away with it. So the Philistines, on this occasion, know where Samson is. They surround the gates of the city, which would have been closed at night, and they wait to ambush him when he leaves at daylight. Instead, Samson departs at midnight, he rips the gates off the city wall, hauls them up a hillside overlooking the city, and installs them there for the entire city to see when they wake up in the morning. There's more than a little hubris in this, wouldn't you say? But it's also important to notice, in this situation, the Lord's Spirit does not rush on Samson the conclusion we have to draw from this is that Samson has started to see no connection between his gift and God. No connection between his gift and any obligation to God. What this will soon mean is that the symbol of this relationship, remember, what's the symbol of this relationship? His hair. This symbol will soon mean little to him. Like a spouse who takes off their ring and forgets the commitment it symbolizes, Samson is going to forget what his hair means. So next, Samson starts a relationship with a woman named Delilah. We're told that he loves her, but that should raise more questions than anything else because Samson repeatedly lies to her knowing she's trying to trick him. If this is love, who wants this? Who's interested, right? The real question at this stage in Samson's life is whether he is capable of truly loving anyone, including God. Three times, Delilah asks Samson the source of his strength. Three times, Samson lies, only to find out what he already suspected. He's in bed with the enemy. But does he really even care? Finally, he gives in and he tells her something closer to the truth. His hair has never been cut. But we need to be careful here. Even when Samson gives in, are we really to completely believe that Delilah has just worn him down and that he loves this devil woman so much he can't help but tell her, knowing he's going to lose the gift that makes him who he is? Are we really to believe that Samson thinks he's going to lose his strength? Now, of course, Samson knows exactly what Delilah will do once he's told her the secret. It's happened three times in a row. But knowing this full well, what does Samson say when Delilah wakes him and his head is shaven? What does he say? This is chapter 16, verse 20. Samson woke up and thought, I will do as I did before and shake myself free. Do You see what's going on in the mind of Samson? It's a crucial turn in the story. Samson has learned to presume on God so much that even after he tells Delilah of this vow, he still doesn't really think that God would ever take his strength from him. Even then, he tells himself he'll shake free from the Philistines just as he did before. Then we're told this. He did not realize that the Lord had left him. What's happened here? Strength had been God's gift to Samson. But this strength came as part of his relationship to God. The vital symbol to this relationship was his hair. Like the spouse who throws away the ring and then dispenses with the relationship and says, I'm done By giving up this secret, Samson shows that he has no regard for God. He believes that he has no need for God. No dependence on God. He believes he can get what he wants from God with no responsibility to him. Perhaps the greatest tragedy of this story is that Samson has become so disconnected from God, he doesn't even know when God has left him. Can you imagine a person in a marriage who doesn't even know when the other spouse has left? They've become so disconnected that when they're gone, they don't miss them. This is what's happened to Samson. It's the relationship that he has become disconnected from. And the hair was the final symbol of that relationship. So no longer able to fight against them, the Philistines easily capture Samson. They make him into their slave. So to ask the question again, what is it that causes Samson's demise? The story is telling us that it's the loss of a relationship. The vital relationship between him and God. What is it that creates Samson's suffering near the end of his life? It's his own accumulated decisions, his own self-willed isolation, his refusal for much of his life to let what he wants depend on what God wants. This is what has created Samson's suffering at the end of his life. Finally, it all comes crashing down on him. But surely Samson can be redeemed, can he? Anyone can be. The real question here is, how can he be redeemed? Will it be the regrowth of his hair that restores the magic, the strength? Now Samson realizes it's going to take more than that. As Leah read, you heard the part where his hair began to grow again. But at the end, his hair already regrown, Samson does something else that shows us when his strength is restored. He prays. He prays. And this time he prays differently than the prayer we heard before. This is chapter 16, verse 28. This time, Samson addresses God as the royal king. Oh, Lord God. And this time he humbles himself enough to ask "Please, of God. Please remember me and please strengthen me. Samson's suffering has caused him to realize that his strength is connected to God and it's dependent on him. Without his relationship to God, he is empty. He's void. And he can't carry out his vocation, the very thing that God called him to do. Now, Samson is still himself. He's still imperfect, even in his prayer. His prayer is for personal vengeance on his enemies, for goodness sake. He asked God, Let me have strength just this once to be able to get vengeance on them for my two eyes. He's still Samson. But God's willingness to answer him tells us something about God, actually. Did you notice the thief on the cross? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. It was a very simple prayer, and yet Jesus' response is, you'll be with me. Today, you will be with me. God does not wait for our perfection before He's willing to draw near to us. This is what we see in the story of Samson. He does wait for you to open yourself to Him, though. For you to humble yourself enough before Him to ask for His help. God returns to Samson when there's just enough of Samson's turning to God to enable God to come closer to Samson. So to close, what can we draw from Samson's pain and struggle at the end of his life? Well, first, we need to know that seeking our own independence in life is dangerous. Seeking your own way Is dangerous. So, this summer I made a terrible, this this past summer I made a terrible mistake. I'll never do it again. I planted morning glories in our yard. Yeah. We made this bamboo teepee, we planted them around our lamppost, thinking, they're going to be beautiful. I told a couple people here about it, and they laughed at me. And I thought, how bad can it be? Now, sure, they, they choked out our pole beans, but they were still pretty. Still worth it, I thought. Then came the time to pull them up. Now, this wasn't too bad either. They, they, their, their roots are pretty shallow, right? But then two weeks later, I started to see hundreds of little morning glory seedlings, even in places I hadn't planted them. I, it was. I, I took pictures and sent them to the people that had laughed at me said, you were right. So if you want a good laugh next spring, you can come to our house uh, and there'll be morning glories everywhere, I'm sure. So my lesson was learned, right? I'll never do it again. They're invasive. This is exactly how rebellion works spiritually in our lives. It is exactly the way it works. It almost always starts small. But it grows. And before we can even realize it, the seeds of it are everywhere in our lives. We've lost control. And also without realizing it, we isolate ourselves from others and from God. This is why Samson can't even tell when God's left him. Because his rebellion grew slowly over time and he lost sensitivity without even knowing it. So first... Seeking your own independence is very dangerous. Second, when we do this, when we seek a a stubborn independence, it will often lead us to forms of pain and suffering. Think about all the pains Samson must have felt toward the end of his life. Physical pain, certainly, but also emotional and spiritual pain. He was alone. For much of his life, it seems, Samson had sought women to comfort him. But now, there's no one available. And here, when he had the greatest need, even God was absent. We need to know that when God allows us to suffer in these ways because of our own decisions, because of our rebellion, this is a gift to us. It is. It's a mercy to lead us back to God. Suffering isn't the worst thing that can happen to a person. Rather, isolation from God, loss of relationship. This is the absolute worst thing that can happen to a human being. To be completely and utterly alone. So lastly, what do you do when you find yourself in this type of situation? Having made a mess of your life? Because that's what Samson has done. You repent. You return to God You open yourself up to Him again, and God will come near to you. He absolutely will. You know, Advent starts the Christian year with repentance. We prepare for God's arrival by aligning ourselves with Him. This is what we said in the call to repentance earlier. John the Baptist comes and says, make straight the way of the Lord. What that means is make straight the way in your own life. Make room for God to come by getting rid of your sin and your rebellion. Now think about the way the world does resolutions at the beginning of the new year. So in, in, a, in a, just a few weeks, we're going to be all about new resolutions. Commitments to a new diet, to work out, and to be an all-around better person for 2019. But all the emphasis in this is on us and our own self-discipline. Our ability to carry it out, right? But in the Christian calendar, we start with repentance, saying, God, I failed. I haven't been a good steward of my life, of my time, my body, whatever it is. Have mercy on me and help me. And the end goal between repentance and resolutions, it's very similar. But the way you get there is altogether different. One is through your own strength and will. I'm going to do it different this year. But like Samson's strength and will, at some point, ours all, all of us fail. And one way or another, our strength is going to fail us. But the other way, through repentance, is through God's renewing grace that says, open yourself to Me, draw near to Me, and I will draw near to you, and I will enable you to do it differently this time. This is where we start the Christian year with Advent. Repent. Examine your life. It can be terribly painful. But through God's mercy, it doesn't have to be. He's going to restore you. He's going to help you and forgive you. So this morning, uh, John's going to come in a moment and lead us in the creed, but I want to do something different. Before he comes, I'd like us to take a moment of silence to reflect on our lives. Places we've made a little bit of a mess of it or a big mess of it. To reflect on Samson and to repent, to God of anything that could be holding off God's nearness to you? Will you ask God to draw nearer to you? So John, in a few moments, after some silence, you'll come and lead us in the creed. But let's, let's take time to do this, to open ourselves to Him and to invite Him to draw near to us.